register online. That's there uh, for you. Well, we're continuing this weekend our off-road series. Again, for guests, what we're doing is we are working our way through the book of Exodus. And it's appropriate this 4th of July weekend that we are looking at a story of God calling a people out from oppression and slavery and tyranny, raising up an 80-year-old guy, uh, Moses, to lead them. Moses goes to Pharaoh and uh, intercedes on behalf of the people, and Pharaoh says, get lost, don't know you, don't know your God. In fact, I'm going to make it twice as bad for your people. And the people get mad with Moses. And as we're going to see this weekend, they, uh, these are people who are called to go on a journey with God, uh, but they end up running out of gas because of weariness and disappointment. And so running out of gas is the title for our message tonight. And we're looking at Exodus chapter 6 and verses 6 through 12, if you'd like to follow along. Exodus 6 and verses 6 through 12. Therefore, uh, this is God speaking, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Ladies, I'm sure that uh, many of you have already come to the conclusion in your own lives that men are weird, <laughs> especially when it comes to driving. There's something that happens in the male psyche when we get behind the wheel of a car. How many men here like me, uh, you're just like me, you hesitate to stop and ask for directions when you are lost? Just raise your hand if that, come on, just confess right now. I know that there are uh, many of you, you stop to stop and ask for directions when you are lost. Somehow it is tantamount to an admission of defeat and you don't like that. How many of us, male or female, but I think it's mainly a male problem, we tend to let the fuel gauge uh, run down to almost empty, and I sense pain in the house even as I say this, it almost goes down to the E before you will fill up. How many of us are like that? It's like a personal challenge. Can I make it home <laughs> with the fumes that are remaining in the tank right now. Now, I can understand that in England right now. Uh, to fill up a family car in England uh, this evening would cost around $170. Be very happy for the 4th of July, people. <laughs> this is the oppression that you have thrown off because most of it is taxes. Maybe we need a 4th of July in England so that we could get rid of ourselves. I'm not sure. 
And I'm not, I don't know why it is that some of us have got this idea that if it's better to delay the filling of the tank. Do we think we're saving money? What's the psychology behind this? Because eventually we're going to have to fill that tank up. And then if you're anything like me, uh, it's late at night, the needle is on empty. And then I move into the irrational behavior of praying that God will provide gas stations in the middle of nowhere. Have you ever thought about how ridiculous that is? You're in the middle of the mountains, and God Almighty is supposed to send a Texaco station. Wham! Complete with a living attendant who was suddenly in, he was in Tennessee five minutes ago. And he just lands there wondering what's going on. It's just because you prayed because you were running out of gas. It's ridiculous. And then, of course, when you run out of gas, you say to yourself, I wonder what the Lord is teaching me through this. He is saying to you, oh, stupid, stupid child, <laughs> fill your tank. The Bible acknowledges that, that there are times when we as Christians potentially can run out of gas when it comes to life and when it comes to the Christian life. Please get out of the idea that no good Christian would ever think of giving up because the New Testament particularly argues very, very strongly against that. Repeatedly, the Apostle Paul, in his writings, he talks about running well and ending well, finishing the race. A very strong theme of Scripture, Old and New Testaments, is endurance. Uh, this week I've been uh, reading through the book of Galatians, and I'm amazed at this theme there where Paul says, you were running well. What has hindered you? Paul acknowledges that there are times when, when we will feel like we're running out of gas. I, I, just can't, I just can't keep going with this. And that's pretty much what's happening here. Verse 9, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. They were called to be a people journeying with God, but they're out of gas. And they say, Moses, frankly, we're too tired to listen to you. Thank you very much. Of course, one of the challenges for us as human beings is that we don't have a fuel gauge. I wish we did. One of the challenges is that it can be difficult to evaluate just exactly where we are in terms of replenishment and resources. We don't have a warning light that says, if you don't do something, you are going to move into collapse 20 miles from now because your tank is almost empty. So what can we learn from this story? Let's take a look. And if you're, if you're working through the bulletin, uh, dive into it with me. First of all, we run out of gas when we live as if there is no God. We run out of gas when we live as if there is no God. Notice that God says to the Israelites, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. Exodus is a God-centered book with a God-centered message that teaches us to have a God-centered life. And no less than a dozen times in the book of Exodus, God makes this statement to his people, I am the Lord. He says plenty of other things, but the core message that he keeps bringing them back to is I am the Lord. It isn't that they were rejecting God at this stage at least. 
It's just that they had this theoretical belief in God, but it wasn't terribly relevant as far as they could see to their story. So Moses says, hey, God wants us to get out of here. It's like, yeah, we don't want to listen. We've got this theory, but it's not really affecting us. We'll just stay here. Thank you very much. And I've been reflecting on this, and I think we can drift into a place where we have orthodox Christian beliefs, where they are not changed. Intellectually, we still believe the right things, but where mysteriously our beliefs no longer affect our behavior very much practically. And we end up with a vague faith that distills into a flabby, irrelevant theory. Someone has said that which we really, that which we really believe, we live by. All the rest is religious froth. Craig Grishel, who leads Life Church in Oklahoma, has written a book called The Christian Atheist. I read the book today. And it's a challenge because if we're not careful, we can have these theories in our minds where we believe that God cares, but we act as if he doesn't because we don't bother to pray. Where we believe that God is holy, but we act as if no one is holding us accountable because we drift into sin. Where we believe that God has a purpose for our lives, but we act as if he doesn't because we don't bother to consult him with our ideas. Where we believe that God is our provider, but we act as if he isn't because we don't bother to give. Where we believe that God is all-powerful and that he's powerfully working in us, but we refuse to ever change and cooperate with him. Where we believe that God is mighty, but we live as anxious as everybody else. Where we believe that everyone needs to know Jesus, it's just we never ever talk about him anymore. And so our actions contradict our beliefs. And I'm challenged about this. Are we really believing? And are we taking our beliefs into action, not just on Saturday nights, but on, on Monday mornings. And, and if you're not a Christian tonight, let me say this to you. If there's a God, the implications are absolutely stupendous. Everything is different now. If there is a God at the heart of everything, this is not about getting a little bit of weekend religion in your life, a little dab of religiosity to keep you going and give you a 911 number to call when things are a bit tough. This is revolutionary. If there's a God, that's got to change the way that we look in at everything in life. We run out of gas when we live as if there is no God. Secondly, we run out of gas when we reduce our salvation to a great escape. We run out of gas when we reduce our salvation to a great escape. Look at these words. Look at what God promises. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the, under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. A few years ago, my mother won $3 million on the equivalent of the lottery. 
Some of you are looking at me right now saying, I'd like to be your friend, Pastor Jeff. Three million bucks. The only thing is, she called me and said, I've won three million. I said, praise the Lord. That's good. And then she said, but I didn't get my ticket in, in time, and I blessed it. Oh, hallelujah, I cried. Now I shall not be tempted with the possibility of riches. Hand me a tambourine that I might headbutt it. And by the way, this is not an endorsement of the lottery. It's just an illustration, but it's a true one. My mother won this money, but she never claimed it. That's a heart. I'm over it now. <laughs> but I'm just wondering sometimes if, if we treat our salvation like that. It's huge, but we narrow it down to this. It's this big, but we never claim it. And we reduce salvation down to eternity insurance. Yep, 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 that's it. Prayed the prayer. I'm in. Going to heaven when I die. Hooray. Bit of church. Great. Clean up my act a little. Excellent. Is that it? I saw a bumper sticker. It said, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Is that it? Is that all it's about? Is it just about what Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, who died just a few weeks ago, he talked about barcode faith, as if you pray the prayer and God puts a barcode on your head, and then when it comes time to, to judgment day, God scans the barcode. Oh, yep, you're in. Yep. Is that it? No, it's not. Salvation is not just eternity insurance. I will free you, I will deliver you, I will redeem you. That formula is used 124 times in the Old Testament. Freedom, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Freedom in Christ. This weekend we celebrate political, geographical, national freedom. But don't miss the core point that is biblical rather than political, and that is that freedom is available through Jesus. How tragic it would be to live in a free land but be just as bound in our own personal lives. Redemption and adoption. I will redeem you. Redemption is an interesting term in the Old Testament. If you were in slavery, you could buy your way out. If you'd committed a crime, you could, you, it could be, money could change hands, not in bribery, but judicially, to get you out of that system. It was normally your closest relative, the kinsman redeemer, who would redeem you. And what's God saying to Israel? I'm going to redeem you. I'm now your next of kin. God's help's available. It's part of salvation. With an outstretched arm, he is going to save us. The outstretched arm in Hebrew thinking means action, the God who is actively involved. Identity and relationship, I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Direction, I will bring you to the land. Blessing, I will give it to you as a possession. See, salvation is not just about praying the prayer to get you into heaven when you die. It's about a whole new life right now. By the way, it's experienced in community. We individualize the scriptures as if God just said this to a bunch of individuals. No, he said it to Israel. Let's remember that. I, I wish that we had that phrase in the Bible that our friends in the South have, y'all. 
Because when, when these words are written, God is saying, I'm going to give this to y'all. <laughs> it's not that we individualize this. This is why the church is important, because God is not just about saving individuals and brightening up my little life, but he deals with us, yes, personally, but as a people together. Can I also say this salvation affected everything? It affected their politics, their economics, their ethics. This salvation was not just about eternity, it was about living on earth right now. Christianity affects everything. We've got to get out of this Greek idea that God just wants to make us more spiritual and get into the Jewish idea, which means that every part of our lives is going to be affected. That's why we need Christians in politics. Get ready here. That's why we need a responsible attitude to the environment. Sometimes you say the word environment to Christians and they say, hold on, did you just use the E word? Environmentalism, isn't that, isn't that just about a bunch of wackos, a bunch of tree huggers? Let me say this, ladies and gentlemen, if anybody should be campaigning and living for a responsible attitude to the environment, it's the Christian community. Because we are the people who believe not in Mother Earth. I'm getting a bit passionate about this. I need to rack it down a bit. <laughs> we are the people who don't believe in Mother Earth, but we believe in Creator God. That the planet is not ours. And the Christians who say, well, bless God, we're all getting out of here anyway. It's all going to be burned up. We need to think again. Because God's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. If anyone should be leading the way on this stuff responsibly, sanely, biblically, it's us. Young people here, I want to say this is the greatest cause you could ever give yourself to. It's not narrow salvation insurance just for eternity, although important that that is. If you want to join the greatest campaign in the history of humanity that affects every facet of life, economics, justice, poverty, environment, politics. It's the cause of the kingdom of God. Is it time for us to go deeper and broader with our faith and let it affect more than it is right now? Thirdly, we run out of gas when discouragement means that we can't or we won't listen. We run out of gas when discouragement means we can't or won't listen. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. A few weeks ago, I took Kay to a concert that I didn't ever think I would ever attend because I am not a country music fan. But I am being changed. I am wearing cowboy boots. Beneath this shirt, I have a huge belt buckle. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and I'm starting to feel tempted to spit out a pickup truck. I mean, it's just amazing. Just kidding. So I took Kay to a Tim McGraw concert. Tim McGraw. 18,000 people there. For the first half hour, I didn't watch the show. I watched the crowd. They were interesting. I wore my cowboy hat. Look pathetic. Warmer boots, warmer shorts. 
we sat down. I don't know how it happened. I said, honey, look at this. We are eight rows from the stage. That was the good news. The bad news is that we were eight rows from the speakers. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was actually praying the bass guitarist would not <laughs> because as he did, my internal organs began to dance. Halfway through the show, I, I said to God, I think we're going to have to leave. My hearing is just collapsing. My ears are ringing now, even as I speak. I am unable to hear properly because I was bombarded with sound. And these Hebrews couldn't hear properly. In the Hebrew, the word ruach is used, it's a word for spirit. They were broken or short of spirit. They were so discouraged. They were so weary. I want to just take a moment or two to say to those of us tonight who are weary and discouraged, I can't fix it with a sentence or two that's clever. But I want to say to you, when you're discouraged, you don't see straight, and you don't hear straight. One or two of us maybe really need to hear that tonight. Please don't make critical decisions when you're very discouraged, because you're not picking up the right news, and you're not seeing things quite as they are. When you're discouraged, even the promise of miracles doesn't lift you what happened to these people. I also noticed that discouragement is infectious. Moses hears from God. He talks to the discouraged Israelites. They discourage him. Moses is discouraged. Don't judge life on what you're hearing and seeing now. And if you're discouraged and weary, don't stand on your own two feet, please. Because independence should never mean that. I think sometimes we interpret that personally. Stand on your own two feet. You're, you're independently owned and operated. That's a corruption of the idea. We need each other. And if you're discouraged tonight, trust a friend to pray with you, stand with you. We run out of gas when discouragement means we can't or won't listen. Fourthly, we run out of gas when we refuse to take steps of faith. We run out of gas when we refuse to take steps of faith. Then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this country. Just get this, everybody. The first time Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, can we have three days leave? Pharaoh says, no, you're not going to have that. So now, what does God say? God says, forget the three-day leave. Tell him you're evacuating. Tell him you're... How do you think Moses felt about that? You know, the 72-hour vacation, unpaid, didn't go well. What God is calling Moses, Aaron, and the Hebrews to do is express some faith. I've been thinking about this. When was the last time I took a big step of faith? Somebody asked me last week, 
do you English people have fireworks? Yes, we do. It is not the 4th of July. Our firework day is November the 5th. That's when we have fireworks. November the 5th is Guy Fawkes Day. Guy Fawkes was a gentleman, Guy, who in 1605 tried to blow up the Houses of Parliament. He wanted to bring down our democracy, and he had gunpowder in the cellars of the House of Commons. And they caught him, and they sentenced him to death. And so now, every November the 5th, I can't believe I'm telling you this, <laughs> we have hot dogs and hamburgers, and then we have a bonfire, and our kids make effigies, life-size effigies called a guy. And they have a mask that they put on the guy, and we have our hot dogs and our cheeseburgers, and we let off our fireworks, and then the climax of the evening is we put the guy on the bonfire, and we burn him. <laughs> I am 57 years of age in just a few days, and it only occurred to me two years ago, living in America, that's sick! <laughs> Come on, kids, get around. Another hot dog? Okay, now let's celebrate by experiencing a mock execution, shall we? <laughs> Some of you are sitting there going, thank God for the 4th of July. <laughs> the point is, for all those years I let off the fireworks and set fire to the fire, but never really thought about what I was doing. And I think we can end up doing just that. We go through the routine. We know a bit about God. It's interesting in this story because God, in the Hebrew, God says, I've been known to you as El Shaddai, the great, the mighty one. From now on, I'll be known as Yahweh, a more intimate name. And God is calling his people to a journey of new discovery where they learned on the journey. Kay said to me this week, my wife, she's here tonight. She said, Jeff, you write daily Bible notes. I said, yeah, I know. She said, in your daily Bible notes a year ago, you said you were going to keep a journal so that you wouldn't forget the things that God did. I said, ah. She said, you haven't kept that journal, have you? I said, no, I forgot. I've been challenged. When's the last time I took a step of faith? And it might not be a big thing. It might be, it might be a major decision. A step of faith might be a step of forgiving. A choice to give. A choice to try again. Or a choice of accepting forgiveness. That's a step of faith too. Are we still taking steps of faith? Well, the last thing, number five. We run out of gas when we allow ourselves to be paralyzed by failure and a sense of inadequacy. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Moses listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Now, I've discussed this point of the sermon with my wife, and I'm going to take her advice. 
because the NIV makes it nicer than it is. What Moses actually says, well, said is this. In the Hebrew, he says, and some of the other translations render it like this, I am a man with uncircumcised lips. That's what he says. But when you press into the Hebrew, what he actually said is so crude that my wife has advised me not to share it in mixed company this evening, lest there be a lynching, and I'm going to take her advice. Let me just tell you that when God said to Moses, you ought to speak, Moses' response, using a somewhat crude analogy, was, no, I've failed, I've messed up, I've got uncircumcised lips. This may have been referring to the fact that he didn't circumcise his own children and God brought judgment potentially upon him for that. But he may have been referring back to his murder of an Egyptian. Who knows what he was referring back to? But he felt paralyzed by his own failure. I wonder how many of us are like that. I wonder how many of us need to begin again. I'm not spooky, I'm not weird, but I felt I needed to end this sermon by telling one or two of you, I'll tell everybody, but this is for one or two of you, about Thomas Carlyle. In an age before there was computers or printing, he wrote the history of the French Revolution, 1,500 pages of manuscript. Took him years. He gave it to his friend, John Stuart Miles, to edit, and his friend put it in a basket, and the maid thought that it was garbage, and she set fire to it. And when Thomas Carlyle realized that his life's work had been gone up in flames, he closed the blinds of his house, and he would not come out for two weeks. But one day he looked out, and he saw a man painstakingly building a church wall, restoring a church wall, brick by brick by brick. And he said, if that man can start again and do such work, so can I. And so for two years, he wrote the book again. And it's now a classic of literature. I felt this afternoon praying about tonight that there would be one or two people, maybe a couple here tonight, and this week you have been looking at a massive project of starting all over again. And there's failure in your history that could overwhelm you. And the Lord wants you to know, with his help, you can do it. Don't be paralyzed by your failure. Well, we're going to pray in just a moment, but uh, as we begin to prepare our hearts to do that, I'm going to end this message with the weirdest reading you could ever think of. So let me just do this and come along and just play for us if you would. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 13. I want to read this to those of us who feel like we've failed too much. <laughs> 
like we can't start again. And as I read this, you're going to think, man, you have gone crazy. It's the next few verses. Exodus 6.13, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Now these are the verses that are really important. Don't miss this. These were the heads of their families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, were Hanok and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These were the class, the clans of Reuben. The sons of Zimeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Sheol, the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. And these were the names of the sons of Levi, according to their records, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, and Levi lived 137 years. Powerful stuff. And you are thinking, why would you read that? Well, you see, the function of this genealogy was not only to locate Moses and Aaron in the story, but also to encourage them. Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter, but only three of them are listed here. And each one of the three committed grievous sins, but experienced forgiveness. Reuben, immorality, sleeping with his father's concubine. Simeon sold his brother into Egypt. Joseph involved in a massacre. Levi, mass murderer. You see, that genealogy, which let's face it, we could so easily, quickly skip over, is purposeful. Because it says here, brothers and sisters, if God could forgive them, and if God could forgive murderer Moses, then we can bring our stuff to him too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because you are good. You're a God who doesn't want to just get us into heaven when we die, wonderful though it is to know about eternity with you. But you want us to live with you and for you now. As we read this story of a people who were so weary that they couldn't listen, we pray first of all, Lord, for any of us here tonight who are so tired that they have not been listening, unable to see straight. We pray for your strength and your grace to help them. I'm going to ask three other questions as our heads are bowed. I wonder how many of us needed to hear a bizarre genealogy read and realize that if God could forgive those men and use Moses, then he can forgive that thing in your history. That's true for you. Would you slip up your hand right now, please, as a way of saying, yeah, I get that. I need to hear that. You can place your hands down, please. I wonder how many of us would be saying tonight, I, I, I'm sensing that God is asking me to step out and do something, but it's going to take faith to do it. I'm going to have to put my faith in gear and trust God if I'm going to do that thing. I'd love to include you in a prayer 
in just a moment. If that's true for you, would you slip up your hand, please? I want to, I'm stepping out in this thing. It's, it's, it's going to require more than me. I've got to trust God for it. Thanks for doing that. I wonder finally, as I just move into this prayer, how many of us tonight would say, I, I need Christ. If there's a God, that changes everything. I want to hand my life into his hands, accept his forgiveness, but also place myself under his authority. I want to become a Christian. That's true for you. Would you slip up your hand right now, please? Do it now. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Well, right where we are, Lord, we call upon your name. Help those of us weary experience strength. Help those of us who could be tempted by timidity to trust you in this decision of faith. Help those of us who've struggled with our skeletons, with our sins that so shame us. Help us to bring those to you. Help us to accept your grace and forgiveness. We pray for each one tonight. For those who are giving their lives to you, reveal yourself to them, we pray. Grant them great grace. Finally, Lord, before we end this prayer time, we pray for passengers and family members in San Francisco tonight where there's been this this air crash at the airport, we ask you to bring comfort, grace, help those who are helping medical crews, emergency services. We pray for everyone involved and for all those who are anxious at this time. We commend them to your care, mighty God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you, Lord, because by your grace, we can carry on walking with you. We pray that this week we will believe our beliefs, that all that we know to be true, that, Lord, you, by your Spirit, will flesh that out in our lives, that we might be the people of God experiencing the fullness of our salvation. Thank you that we don't have to ask you to go with us. You will. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name, everyone say it. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Our prayer team are here. We would love to pray with you. If we may do that, please come right away so that we can make that happen. God bless.